Amen. As we go there in the Word of God, Henry Ford, uh, the man who was behind Ford Automotive, came up with a revolutionary plan for a new kind of engine. Today, we know the engine exists in some of the most uh, 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 high horsepower cars and they are known as the V8 engine. But at the inception of this engine, Ford was eager to get his idea into production. He had some men who worked for him draw up plans. He presented this idea to the engineers. But as the engineers studied the drawings, one by one they came to the same conclusion. They concluded that their visionary boss just didn't know much about fundamental principles of engineering. And so they said, we have to tell Henry Ford as gently as possible. We have to let him know that his dream was impossible. Ford said, produce it anyway. When they went to him, Henry said, produce it anyway. They replied, but it's impossible. Go ahead, Ford commanded. And stay on the job until you succeed, no matter how much time is required. For six months, they struggled with drawing after drawing, design after design, and came to nothing. Another six months, nothing. At the end of the year, Ford checked with his engineers and they once again told him that he, what he wanted was impossible. But Ford told them, keep going. They did and eventually, they discovered how to build a V8 engine. And so the story ties in with what I want to preach on this morning. A sermon I've called, The Impossible Becoming Possible. You see, we're living today in a very self-reliant, self-dependent generation where we know that Self-help and motivation thrives. The self-help industry, if you walk into any bookstore, you would find the self-help tab in most bookstores. It will always carry on its shelves books upon books. It's a multi-billion industry. And we know that the reality, beloved, is this. Self-help, as I've read in the past, is an oxymoron. Somewhere, somehow, if we could help ourselves, why aren't we better? And so we convince ourselves many a times that I, myself, am able to change every circumstance, solve every problem without God. The danger with self-help or self-reliance, the danger with it is limitation. In other words, there will always come a time where you will hit a wall and there's just no way forward. Because you have come to a place where you found that I'm in a problem that I cannot solve. And no doubt we have what we today assume as education, there's ways of critical thinking, and so on and so forth. And I believe strongly in all of those things, beloved. Don't get me wrong. 
But oftentimes, when you try helping yourself again and again and again, without going to God for His supernatural help, you find yourself in a place of frustration and mental exhaustion. If you try changing people, for example, you're going to soon find that you will get frustrated because how many know you cannot change people? If you're going to try to get something in life, you're going to soon find you can have all the dice and all the cards decked in the right place, but eventually you are going to run out of ideas and the only one who can and will help you is God. And I want to preach to you a sermon this morning that I believe will help us. John 21 verses 1 through 6. I want you to turn there in the Word of God. John 21 verses 1 through 6. In this passage, beloved, the Bible uh, begins to give us some insight. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So when Jesus died upon his crucifixion, Peter and the rest of the disciples were despondent. They were discouraged. They saw that their master was no longer around. Now we are here where Peter turns to the rest of the disciples. They are stepping back, they are retreating and they are saying, let's go fishing. In other words, what Peter was implying is let's go back to what we were good at doing. Because that was who we were. We were fishermen in the past. So let's go back fishing. And interestingly, when you read this passage, they were being supported and the men didn't resist or begin to retaliate. They didn't say, hey, Peter, what's the matter with you, man? They didn't turn around and try to speak any sense to Peter. In fact, the Bible says, if you read this, the Bible says, we are going fishing and they went out immediately and got into the boat in verse 3. There was no hesitance. They stepped into the boat. They immediately responded. But when Jesus was around, why this? Why is this happening? Because when Jesus was around, they were somewhat being supported in the ministry. Jesus, the Bible says, do not worry about what you should eat, what you should drink. Remember, Jesus said, don't carry with you money bags because I will provide for you where you go. There will be supply. There will be support. There will be finances. There will be all that is necessary for the ministry provided for you. I will take care of that. And now the master is gone. The guy who said that is dead. And so that fear is gripping them and they're going to have to find some form of employment. Their master was given to death. 
And one of the things Jesus told his disciples is wait for the Holy Spirit. That also hasn't happened. The Holy Spirit also had not come. Now there's doubt in the air about their livelihood. And one thing I will give it to the disciples is that they chose not to be idle. They had at least some initiative. The term, I'm going fishing, expresses Peter's notion, we can do something ourselves. We don't need him. And the rest of the disciples followed after Peter. Peter was an influential man. They got into the boat, and I can, and I can safely say they were all probably thinking what Peter was thinking. Now, in the life of every believer this morning, we have moments and seasons where we feel the absence of Christ. Where we feel that God is no longer there by our side. There are days of discouragement. There are days of despondence. You're praying. You're striving for God to move. And deep within the crevices of our heart, we feel compelled to say, I can't sit around. We feel compelled to react. We feel compelled to do something. We feel that there's fear, there's doubt, there's worry, there's unbelief. We begin to react. We begin to respond and take matters into our own hands. Why should I wait on God? He's left me. He's nowhere to be found. I need to handle this myself. Why do we come to that? Why do we come to that conclusion? Number one, because we feel neglected. When he left, when he was on that cross, the disciples undeniably felt they were betrayed. They were abandoned. There was a sense that God has abandoned us. Jesus has left us for good. He's left us alone. He's left us to fend for ourselves. He's so silent. There's no response in Hebrews 13.5. The promise that sits upon our heart is this, that let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the, the, the sense of feeling neglected always drives us to take matters into our own hands. God's not going to act for me. God's not going to respond to my prayer. God's not going to move on my behalf. God is not going to do something for me. He's, he's gone. I don't hear Him. I don't feel Him. He's silent. And that sense causes us to quote unquote, Simply say, let's go fishing. Let's go back to what we used to do because you know what? That's our comfort zone. The second reason why we take matters into our own hands is because we sense delay. How many know God doesn't work on our timetable? The urgency of our problems Wait for no man. We know the story of Mary and Martha, their brother, Mary's brother, is, in, is about to die and they call on Jesus. And what the Bible says, Jesus was somewhere else and he did not hurry. He didn't, you know, oh my gosh, really? He's dying? Oh, you know, Peter, get, get this for me. No, 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 no. Jesus slumberedly walked. 
took his time and got there three days later. Your urgency seems like God's delay in your life. Why aren't you doing anything, God? See, this is what drives us to react and respond. Exodus 32 verses 1. The Bible says, Now when the people saw Moses delayed, delayed, coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Aaron, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So what led them to idolatry? What led them to a place where they began to build these idols? What led them to a place to search for a different leader was the fact that Moses was delaying his return. And when we're delayed, when God doesn't say to us what we want Him to say to us at the right time, in our opinion, at the right place, guess what? We start looking for alternatives. That delay demands our reaction. That delay, beloved, the urgency of our problems and the reality of what we are seeing every day troubles us. And Peter and the disciples as they're standing there, I can only perceive they're thinking to themselves, who's going to put food on our table? Who's going to provide for my children? Who's going to give them something to eat? Who is going to act on our behalf? You know, if we just follow this Jesus fellow, I wonder what's going to be of us. Guys, let's just go back fishing. What a waste of time. And how many Christians right here, instead of running to Jesus, they run away from Jesus. Instead of praying even more, they pray even less. They move further away because right now the delay, instead of converting their hearts and challenging them, they think, I can do this myself. I don't need God. I got a lot of resources. I got lots of help. I can sit and wallow in my own self-pity. Who cares? And we take this upon ourselves in a spirit of pride. But you see, this is the call of Peter. Let's do this. And I think another reason why we often react like Peter and we respond is because we get distracted. When there is a lack of focus, there is a sense of absent-mindedness. You know, the devil is such, a, such an incredible deceiver that all he has to do is distract your mind with a small little thing. I remember I got a text, I think it was Brother Dennis who sent me one, uh, about a goat. And, and what had happened was this, this family, you know, had tied this goat to the, to the tree. And so what transpired is that somehow someone let the goat go. Satan came in, he opened the, the rope and he let the goat go. And the moment he let the goat go, the whole family was in a ruckus. They were fighting against each other, getting upset with each other, blaming one another. The father took a knife and stabbed the mother. And all that happened. And God looked and said, Satan, why did you do all of this? He said, no, the only thing I did was I released the goat. How many know that's all Satan does? Just one little trouble. One little problem. And you know what? We all blow, 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 we blow up. And then we blame it all on Satan. But actually the only thing he did was, he just 
let the goat go. And how many know that's the distraction? Small little, just one little thing. And we become so distracted. Now God is far away from us because our minds are so, we're absent-minded. You know what absent-minded is? You know, we, 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 we are, our mind is not present. We don't feel the alertness. We, we, we know what the Bible says, but we're not relating to it. Because you know why? It's so far away. Our mind is not in the current. And how many Christians, the enemy has desensitized our minds by all that we see on the media, by what we see in TV or on the, on, on, on the computer or whatever. And, and our minds become so desensitized that we no longer feel God is near when He actually is. Distraction takes your focus away from God. Remember Peter? In Matthew chapter 14, verses 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, what did the devil do? He just sent the wind. And the waves were all, but Jesus was right there. Jesus was right there. But a little bit of shook him. He was distracted. And you know what? When we are distracted, we don't feel God. We don't feel He's near. We don't feel He cares. We don't feel He's there. We don't feel anything because our heart and our mind are not in the right place. Are you with me this morning? And this is what happened with the disciples right here. So let's talk secondly. Because how many know you can run but you'll never hide from God? If you've not figured that out, it's about time you realize that you can never escape the love of God. The story of Peter and the disciples is the story of the failure of the experts. Peter and these men were generally experts at what they did. They were incredibly great fishermen and yet they failed at it. Think about it. The Bible says here in verses 4, but when uh, uh, they went out in the, in, in, sorry, verses 3, they went out and immediately got into the boat and that night, guess what? They caught nothing. These guys are experts at what they do. They know where the fishes are. They know where to go. They know how to fish. They know all the inside and outside of it. And we know to their humiliation, we will talk about it in a moment, Jesus caused them to see a school of fish. They caught the school of fish. They were able to catch a multitude of it. But the truth be told, beloved, as we see this, to return back to shore with nothing after fishing all night is an indictment. A picture in which God was trying to get across to them. God knew very well that when they left the shore that night, they would catch nothing. God knew that. This was not a mystery to God. God knew that God purposefully allowed that to happen in their mind. Can you imagine, just like us, there was confidence. I don't need God. I can do this without Him. I'm a great negotiator. I know how to handle this. I got all the resources I need. I can handle this. I can do this. I can do it. I don't need God to help me. And so here we find the confidence 
No doubt there was not much for them to apply a trust in God mentality. How many know, you know, you're going to go fishing, you're an expert. You don't have to sit down and then, you know, fast three days before you go. All right, boys, let's pray. Lord, let, we, let us catch fish. It's not like, you know, you are, you are a, a financial advisor and you're going to work every day and you're like, God, you know what? Uh, you got... There was no spiritual link that was required. They were experts. They could do it without prayer. Are you with me? They could have caught fishes without even praying. They could have done it. But guess what happened, beloved? They caught nothing. They were so good at what they did. They were skillful. They were knowledgeable. They could handle it without Jesus. They could have. But in this passage, they couldn't. I want you to know this this morning. God knows about our impossible situations. And God allows it to happen. Can I say that again? God knows about our impossible situations. And God allows it to happen. God allowed them to go out that night. I mean, if you looked at it, you could have said, oh, if he was so good, why didn't he stop them? Why didn't he just stop them from wasting their time? Why didn't he just step in? After all, he was there. The Bible says he stood at the shore and he just let them go. Why didn't you stop them, Jesus? Because God wanted them to fail. Why? Why was failure so necessary for Peter and the disciples? Why? Because number one, it teaches us to depend on God. God wanted his disciples to rely on Him. You know, sometimes you can be so good at some things and yet it never works out. And God is saying, you know, you, you really, really think you can do this yourself, don't you? You really think you can do this without me? You really think you can handle this without my help? And God began to reveal to them that He wants us to depend in John chapter 15 verses 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abiding in God is the sure route to success. Relying on Him. Yes, the Bible says faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean we sit around and expect success to come. It doesn't mean we sit around and expect God's blessing. We have to put our heart and soul, we have to do something. What is interesting about this, look, look at this passage right here, okay? Jesus didn't reprimand or rebuke Peter and the disciples for going fishing. You realize that? He didn't say, what kind of fool you are to go fishing. No, I think he applauded their initiative. He applauded their work. He applauded the fact that they were willing to go out and do something. But how many know you can go out and do something without trusting God? That's the equation he's trying to join together. Go, catch fish. I won't stop you. 
You don't find Jesus rebuking them. Peter, what's wrong with you? What, what, what is the matter with you? Why are you doing this? No, he didn't say that. As a matter of fact, I think when you read Luke chapter 5, you, you can read that. That's a different version of the story. The Bible says when Peter came back, Jesus used his boat. And then he told Peter, now you throw the net in again. And they caught fish. So if Jesus was so against fishing, he would have said, throw the nets away. I'm not, you, 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 you need to stop doing this right now. Peter, what's wrong with you? You need to stop fishing. No, he didn't do that. You know what Jesus was teaching them? Trust. I am the one who helps you. You can be so good at it, but yet fail. And this is a lesson for all of us to learn. Because if we abide in God, He abides in us. And the miracle comes from the element of our dependence and reliance in God. So think with me here on the second point as to why does God allow failure? Because God wanted to reveal Himself to them. That's why God allowed it. The Bible says that as they came to shore, guess what? The disciples did not know it was Jesus in verses 4. Jesus said to them, children, do you have an... He wanted to show Himself in their failure. He wanted to reveal that no matter how bad you fail, I was reading a story, I'm reading a book now, and in this book it spoke about a psychiatrist, a man, uh, 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 he, uh, did, uh, Michael Deminen is his name, and uh, he's a psychiatrist and he was serving in the psychiatric ward one of the nights in San Diego Naval Medical Center Hospital. And while he was serving in that hospital, it was his last night of sh uh, uh, shift and he was walking towards his room to finish off some work and while he was walking to the room, this man came up to him and said, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a while? Now, this man um, had been in the psychiatric ward for a while and he was going to get discharged the next day. So once they've gotten some kind of uh, 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 clearance, these patients are allowed to freely move around the hospital because they've seen that they are capable of handling and managing themselves. And so this man approached Dr. Michael and said, can I talk to you for a while? But Dr. Michael was too busy and say, says, you know what, I don't have time right now. Uh, I'll talk to you. I'll come back to you in about 15 minutes' time. And so long story short, the next thing they heard, they heard this alarm bell go off, coat blue in the hospital. This man took his life. He jumped down the building and he took his life and he died. Now, Dr. Michael's director came in at that moment. And why am I sharing the story? Because it's so, it ties in with the story of Jesus so well. The, the doctor came in, his director and Dr. Michael thought, at this point in time, he's going to fire me. 
He's going to let me go. He's going to tell me, you know what, uh, you, 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 you're useless. What kind of a loser you are. Why did you allow that to happen? He was going to get discharged tomorrow. What kind of a failure? He was beating himself up. He finished his rounds. He finished his work. He was about to leave. And as he was about to leave, his director walked in. And the director began to talk to him and says, Listen, Michael, you don't have to allow that to bother you. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we see a lot of deaths that happen. And yes, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, but the reality of it is, uh, God uh, uh, rather, you know, is, is sees all that has happened and, and, and you can continue to... And this director stayed with Dr. Michael the entire night. At his lowest peak, this director didn't have to do that. He stayed with him the whole night. And years later, he's still a practicing physician today. Years later, he says, in my lowest peak, that was the point where my mind changed that I don't have to be a failure, that I can continue practicing. Can I tell you, that's what Jesus does with Peter. You know who denied him? Peter. And the reality is Jesus knew it all along. But in our passage, what I think is so potent to know, beloved, is that God revealed Himself to Peter. He wanted Peter to know that even though you're a failure, I want to help you. You're a mess. I want to help you. And I think the third thing is simply this. God wants to do the impossible. You know, many a times God wants to show us how weak we are and how strong He is. And the sooner we come to that place, the sooner God does the impossible. You see, we can distract ourselves, beloved, fishing, working, watching, playing. We can distract ourselves. We can delay the inevitable as long as we want, but life minus Jesus equals continual yearning. Can I say that again? Life minus Jesus equals continual. You'll never be satisfied outside of your relationship with God. You can have all the money in the world. You can have the best job. You can watch the best movies. You can have the best friends around you. You can have all of that. But I've been long enough around to tell you that the greatest conclusion is this. When Jesus is removed out of the equation, you will never find true fulfillment. Never. But when Jesus is in the equation, you can do all of those things and yet be fully equipped and satisfied because craving listen to me carefully beloved when jesus is removed from the equation you begin to crave that's why you see a world around us today that keep chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and never seem to be satisfied because the truth is they're trying to do it without god without jesus we are nothing Removing God from the equation may lead us to a mirage of success or a mirage of success. We assume, oh, I've succeeded. But we're delusional. We're distracted. We keep trying and trying 
and trying. And guess what? It only leads to further frustration. I've spoken to many people in, in ministry. I've spoken to people. Just keep trying and trying and trying. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do this and I'll do that. Bro, when will you surrender to God? Stop doing it your way. Stop trying to handle the problem yourself. Stop trying to equate everything. If I do it this way, if I do it that, if only I did it, if only I did it, it will work. And then you try and it doesn't work. You try, it doesn't work. And you try, it doesn't work. And when you wo it works, you still say, why am I still not satisfied? I have all the money. I have all the relay. I have everything I want. Why am I still not satisfied? Because the Bible says that hell is not full. In Proverbs chapter 14, the Bible tells us that when hell isn't full, the man, the heart of man will never be satisfied because the devil wants, us to keep, wants to keep us dissatisfied so that we keep chasing after the things of the world. We keep trying. But you know, beloved, if we humble ourselves, if we come to that place where we admit that if it's not for God, we are nothing. Can I make a statement to you as I get ready to close right here? Our strength sometimes becomes our greatest hindrance. Amen. We think we're good at something. We're good at fishing. So we don't need God's help. I can handle it myself. I'm good at speaking, which I'm not. I need God. That's why when I come to church, I pray every time before every time. I'm focused because I know my weakness. I need God. I need God to help me. I need God to guide me in helping people. I need God to show me what people are going through. I need God to help me in those areas because I cannot assume I'm good enough that I have it all, that I'm talented, I'm gifted, I can fish, I can do that, I can do that. And it's all a matter of pride and arrogance. I make a statement to you, desperation is key to experiencing God. You want God? Learn to get desperate. You want God to help you? Learn to get on your knees before God in desperation. See, some people are so comfortable where they are at, they never need to come to this place. The greatest success in that failure is your realization and awareness that I need God. Can I say that again? Your greatest success in that failure is your realization, I need God. I cannot do this myself. This is not mine. I can't handle. You know what? I, I can seem to see. So I, I'm running. Pastor, I'm running. I'm just running. I'm just running. I'm just running. I'm fishing. I'm fishing throwing the net in. I know the skills. I know the gifts. I know the talents. I know everything. But it keeps coming back to zero. I'm not contented. I'm not fulfilled. Not satisfied. Because desperation is the key to experiencing God. 
See, beloved, are you frustratedly failing this morning? The disciples tried all night, returned to shore. I'm asking you this morning, how long before you will return to shore? Will you stay in the middle of the ocean and say, oh no, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep... Listen, beloved, why don't you surrender to Jesus? Why don't you stop fighting and just give up and say, God, I need to stop trying in my own strength. I need to start seeking you and trusting you. How long before you return to shore? How long has your night been? They fished all night. How long has your night been? One struggle after the other, one failure after the other, and, and still trying and nothing works. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to return to shore instead of trying to run away from Jesus. Maybe it's time to start praying. Maybe it's time to start bucking up on your relationship with God. Maybe it's time you start waking up early and praying in the mornings. Maybe it's time you start developing a desire for the Word of God. Maybe it's time you start coming into the house of God and seeking Him. Maybe it's time, instead of running from Him, maybe it's time to say, you know, I can't do this myself. I know what the end is going to be. I'm going to come back and it will be nothing. Remember the book of Haggai, you read it. The Bible says you put, you put money into the pocket and the Bible says it's like it's filled, it's pocket filled with holes. Do you remember reading that? It's a curse. Where did your money go? What happened? And the Bible says because you did not revere the house of God. Let's close. You see, J Hudson Taylor made this profound statement. There are three stages to any great work attempted for God. Impossible, difficult, done. This is God's character. He does the impossible. Luke chapter 1, verses 37, For with God, nothing will be impossible. Matthew 17 verses 20, So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, Assuredly I say to you, If you will have faith as a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. It will move. Nothing. Say nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. Literally nothing will be impossible for you. Do you see the promise? But how do you get from here to there? How do you experience God moving and causing the impossible to become possible? Only God can cause something of this magnitude to take place. He was at shore. Listen to me. He was at the he was at the at the at the shallow end. He was at the shore. And the Bible says he turned to Peter and he said to Peter in verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat. There was no secret in that. There was no mystery in that. 
It was simply the words that God spoke that he responded to that made the miracle happen. It's not about the right or the left side. Did you wake up on the right side, the left side, and the bed? Every day I wake up on the left side. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Life doesn't hinge on the superstitious nonsense. Let me tell you something. God is in control of everything in life. He said, cast it on the right side. Why? Because if you heeded the voice of God, that's the key to God's miracle. The impossible becoming possible is only possible when God steps in the scene. You see, Jesus made his point as we close. He never left them. He was there all the time. Who left him? They did. Who left Jesus? We did. We moved further and further. We drifted away. Little by little by little. And now we look back and we're in the middle of the ocean. And so we have a choice. Should I run back? Should I restore and return to my first love? Or should I just try harder? Now, mind, let me throw one more time. Peter, throw it in one more time. Throw the net in. Just one more time. Try again. We don't need him. Just He's so far away. We don't need him. And you can keep trying and trying. And you know what the end result will be? You keep failing, failing, and failing. That's why the greatest story of success is not the money you have, not the success you've gained, not the fame you have gotten. The greatest success of life is that you found Jesus and Jesus found you. The Word of God is filled with stories of God doing the impossible. It reminds us, beloved, as I close, I want you to, I want you to listen very carefully to me. It reminds us that in the naturally or in the natural impossible circumstances, God is able to supernaturally turn things around. So I ask you this morning, why do we assume circumstances as impossible? Because we measure our ability by God's ability. Because we can't handle it, we think God can't handle it. We look at a circle, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. And we think that just because we can't, God can't. But how many know you work in the natural and God works in the supernatural? We measure by our understanding and we measure by what we see. The boy with the five loaves and two fish was a miracle of God doing the impossible. The widow of Zarephath, whose son was dead and restored to life, was a, was a story and a lesson of God doing the impossible. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is a story of God doing the impossible. Jesus raising a widow's son who was in the coffin, being brought out from the, from the, from the house. The Bible says Jesus touched that young man and he came back to life. was a story and a lesson that God can do the impossible. Abraham and Sarah giving birth to Isaac. And God looked at Sarah and said, is there anything too hard for me? 
It's a story of God doing the impossible. Jesus being birthed from a virgin through the Holy Spirit is God doing the impossible. So I'm reminding you, you can read the Bible all you want. But if you would study every scripture, you would see that God indeed has a pattern of doing the impossible, causing the impossible to become possible. This is His character. This is His nature. This is who He is. And this is who you serve this morning. Next week, I'll preach a sermon on the Lord is good because as we kick into the month of gratitude, let me remind you if there's anything you need to thank God for, you need to thank Him because He is good. If you read the book of Psalms, the amount of times the Bible says the Lord is good, the Lord is good, the Lord is good, the Lord is good. It's so powerful. And I'm here to tell you, beloved, you may think my circumstances are impossible. Let me tell you, you serve the God who does the impossible. He's shown it in His Word. So can I challenge your faith this morning? Stop relying on your own strength. I want you to bow your heads with me.